Today we're going to continue our series, Liberty in Jesus. And I want to tell you today, there is truly liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is freedom in knowing Jesus. And today, the title of the sermon is going to be Liberty Available to All. And this is going to be part one of this sermon. We're going to finish this up next week. All right, James Bryson was already complaining this morning about me wanting to get y'all out on time so he can go eat lunch. So I'm going to do the best I can, James, okay? And the bad thing is he's over the soundboard, so he can just kind of mute me, <laughs> fade me out, you know. And he would do that, wouldn't you, James? <laughs> hey, hush out there. I don't want to hear that. Sounds like Hannah's dad. I don't claim him as my father-in-law. That's just Hannah's dad. <laughs> All right, so Galatians chapter 2, now that we've gotten off subject, Galatians chapter 2, if you guys will turn your Bibles, and we're going to read verses 11 through 14 this morning for our sermon. And we're going to be talking about the fact that liberty and freedom is available to all, to everyone. So when you found your place, Galatians chapter 2, go ahead and stand to your feet as we respect and honor the Word of God. And we're going to start in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that we know your word is objective truth. It's objective morality. It teaches us who you are in your character, and it also teaches us who we should be, where we came from. It shows us our purpose in life, and Lord, we're thankful to have all these important answers. And I know, God, that only Christians have this comprehensive worldview to look at life through. Many other religions have so many gaps and can't explain life's purpose and the reasons for our existence. But God, we know that our reason for existence is to worship the Creator, that we were indeed created to worship you. And Lord, we know that by looking at every tribe, every isolated people group, they all worship something. No one taught them to worship, and the reason they worship is because they were created to worship. And Lord, we're just thankful today that we worship the true God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We pray for your spirit to be in this service. This is your service, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So today I really want to focus on, and really one of the major themes of the book of Galatians is this term called legalism. Legalism. And there's probably a lot of different definitions of legalism out there. There may be secular definitions. There may be religious definitions. But I like to go with the definition that Jesus gives. And as Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, he begins to confront them about their sin of legalism. And at the end of this confrontation, he actually defines what legalism is. So in Matthew 15, you don't have to turn there unless you want to. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this. Then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Why do you break God's commandment? Because of your tradition. 
For God said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of a father or mother must be put to death. But you say, Whoever tells his father or mother, Whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition. Hypocrites, Jesus said. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Listen here, definition of legalism, verse 9, Matthew 15. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Here Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 15. And what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing, they were building into the apparent law of God their own traditions. They were making concessions for their sin by saying, well, in this case, it's okay. And here specifically what they're talking about is, is that in that day and age, it was the child's responsibility to financially take care of parents in their old age. Some of you parents are saying, amen, we need to go back to that, don't we? Especially if your kids are loaded and make some good money, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm always hoping my kids will be a doctor or something to take care of me. But that's besides the point. But nowadays in our society, we have Social Security. We have retirement benefits. We have all these things where in our culture, it doesn't weigh as heavily on children to take care of their parents as it once did, although I know many children who have taken care of their parents in a real big way. But back then, there were not those social programs. So it was up to the kids. Well, what these Pharisees and scribes were saying was, well, I'm so holy that instead of giving my money to my parents to take care of my parents, I'm going to give it to the temple because God needs it much more than my parents do. And here Jesus is saying, how dare you? You are nullifying the law of God. You are basically making wrong right by making up your own laws. And here he said, you have taught as doctrines human commands. In other words, you are making up these commands and you're teaching them as though they're from God. That's legalism. In other words, God did not make that command. We are not qualified to make those commands. And when we do, and we... kind of put this smoke screen over it like, oh, this is from God, we're committing a grave, grave sin. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They were participating in legalism. There was no command from God that you should make your parents suffer so that you can give money to the temple. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to honor your mother and father. And this is what Jesus was trying to communicate to them, that they were taking on human teachings as though they were commands from God. That's legalism. Um, I can honestly say even personally that legalism has negatively affected me in my life. Uh, There was a time where I was very, very zealous um, about trying to please God, and and I, I still am to a certain extent, but not so much that I was allowing the burden of legalism to weigh on me. Um, I would even see people growing up that base their holiness and the holiness of others on the article of clothing that they and others wore. In other words, if you're not wearing a suit and tie at church, you're not somehow honoring God. Well, my friends, that is a human teaching, kind of smokescreen encoded as though it is the command of God. Did you know that Jesus never wore a suit and tie? I know that blows your mind. He didn't. He probably wore a robe. I bet his feet were dirty, walking in those sandals all the time. It's a tradition of man, and we have to be careful. I even heard preachers say that men with long hair are living in sin. Have you all ever heard that one before? Men who have long hair are living in sin. You think Jesus had long hair? I'd say he probably did. I had preachers say that tattoos are demonic or evil. 
Well, if you carefully examine Leviticus where it talks about markings, it's talking about heathen, idol-worshiping practices. It's not talking about tattoos in the form that they are today. I heard preachers even say that if you don't use a certain translation of the Bible, then you're reading a book of lies. I had a preacher tell my wife that he strongly recommended that she wear skirts to church. And I believed at one time churches that sang contemporary music were liberal. And I really believe that with all my heart. Today, thank God, he has enlightened me to these things. To show me that just because it is a teaching of human beings does not mean it is a command from God. And we can take the comprehensive, full revelation of God's word, and we can determine what of these are just legalistic human traditions, and what of these are actually commanded by God. What are the commands that God is actually giving us as image bearers, as human beings in this day and age. Today we have to be careful not to get trapped in the bounds of legalism. So legalism is dangerous. And the reason I say that is, is if you grow up in legalism and you grew up in being taught that the teaching of human beings is commands from God, then it's not something that you can just turn from. It is something that grips you. It grips your soul. And it will keep you in bondage. And it is a very hard fight to get loose from because it really molds you. And I'm going to tell you in a little bit why legalism is so strong, but legalism will endanger your spiritual condition. And legalism will drain you of joy. Because what you'll find is, is that if you try to live up to the traditions of man, you'll never live up to them like what's expected of you. And you'll always be living in defeat because you can never achieve what's expected for you to achieve. So as we look at legalism, the first thing that I want us to see is the inconsistency of legalism. Now, we're talking about liberty being available to all. Legalism is in direct contradiction of freedom and liberty. Legalism binds you, it bounds you up, and it takes your joy. Well, legalism is very inconsistent. And I want to start there in verse 11 and 12 to show you that inconsistency. So in Galatians 2, verse 11... But when Cephas, and when it says Cephas, it's talking about the apostle Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And this is Paul speaking. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. You may be asking, Peter was the leader of the apostles. Peter was the very one of, of the three that were in Jesus' inner circle. If you remember, it was Peter, James, and John. Peter was the one that was this, the, the natural-born leader. You know, he had that experience with Jesus on a daily basis. And Peter came to a place where he was engaged in legalism to the point where he would eat with certain people when others weren't around, but when the others came in the picture, he would withdraw and pretend like he didn't know them or pretended like he didn't actually have a relationship with them. This is what got him to this point. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, which we've already preached through, but the church, the church is, I should say, there were about four of them in Galatia who this letter was written to, were struggling with a false doctrine that said that in order for you to be saved as a man, you had to be circumcised. And what the Jews were doing there is the, as they had converted to Christianity, they were trying to take on the faith of Christianity and trust in Jesus by faith. But then they said, that plus you need to pull in some of the rituals from Old Testament Judaism. In other words, yes, 
it is by faith that you trust in Jesus to get saved, but you also have to be circumcised like the law says. Also, you can only eat certain things like the law says. And they were trying to add to salvation by grace. They were trying to say that you must do this except Christ and something else. So we already knew that there was this doctrine infiltrating the church. And in Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7, you're going to see that the inconsistency of legalism always brings about confusion because it's inconsistent. Verse 6, I am amazed, Paul said, that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. It's confusion. And we understand, too, confusion is not of God. God is not the author of confusion, as the scriptures say. We worship a God of order. We, are, we worship a God who is transparent. Not a God who keeps secrets, but a God who is very transparent with what he expects and what he wants. And here in this church, there's this inconsistency where they're watching Peter. Peter is preaching to them the gospel. Peter, Peter is teaching them to go and, and tell others about Jesus. But then they see this same Peter eating with the Gentiles. And then when certain people come in from Jerusalem, he pretends like they're plagued or like they're lower than him, and he retreats, and then he pretends like he doesn't know him. And you've got to understand that those who are sitting back watching this are wondering, what is going on here? Even the Gentiles that he's trying to lead to Jesus are feeling that rejection that he's giving them in this time, and they're thinking, well, wait a minute, he said that the gospel is available to all, but yet he doesn't want anything to do with us when his friends from Jerusalem come. What's going on here? It's an inconsistency. It doesn't ring true. When we begin to teach human commands as though they came from God, we're always going to run into inconsistencies. We're always going to run into favoritism. We're always going to run into a focus on the outward person and not on the heart. And that is very, very dangerous. The avoidance and refusal to eat with Gentiles had its roots in Old Testament Judaism, which is the Old Testament religion of the Jews. Jews were told not to eat or commune with Gentiles because they were considered spiritually and ceremonially unclean. So basically the Gentiles, because they didn't adhere to the law of Moses, which is the Old Testament law, the Old Testament Jews said we cannot commune with them for that reason. Now back then, God did command the Jews to be separate, to, to, to not intermingle, to not do that. But now we're in this age of grace where Jesus has died, where Jesus is going to be die, or has died and rose again, and, and, and now there's grace available to all. And Peter is wanting to kind of dig up that Old Testament ritual, and he's wanting to bring it to here. He's having trouble letting go of the bonds of the law. And that's what I was saying before. If you, are, if you grew up in legalism, it is going to be very difficult and really a miracle for you to ever completely shake that legalism because it binds you and it sinks its claws so deep. And when you see the apostle Peter, the one who uh, was the leader of the disciples, struggling with legalism, you know that it's a big deal, and you know that it's a struggle. And that's why we as a church must avoid it at all costs. Even Peter had a vision in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. And in that vision, God starts to show him animals that were historically unclean, ritually unclean. In other words, there was this group, this category of animals in Old Testament Judaism that the Jews were not to touch, they were not to eat, and they were certainly not to use in temple worship for sacrifices. 
But Peter is having this vision in Acts chapter 10 where God begins to reveal to him these animals. And he's showing him these animals, and then he tells them they're no longer unclean. In Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 28, the Bible says this, Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask you why you sent for me? This is about the story when Peter goes to Cornelius and he shares with Cornelius the gospel. Cornelius is the first Gentile recorded in Scripture that accepts Jesus. This same Peter who had the vision from God of these unclean animals and had God speak to him and say, they are no longer unclean. In other words, God was giving Peter a symbolism to say, the Gentiles are no longer unclean, Peter. The, Gentile, the gospel is for the Gentiles just like it's for the Jews. That same Peter that God spoke to is the same Peter now later on in the book of Galatians who is slipping back into legalism. A lot of us look at people like that and you're like, man, you really think that girls can only wear skirts? You really think that men have to part their hair? You really think that men can't have long hair? And we look at them like they're crazy. But it's so simple to fall into legalism. And your legalism may not look like someone else's. You may be somebody that says, I pray four times a day, and I have to pray four times a day. And if I don't pray four times a day, then I beat myself up for three hours because I didn't pray four times a day. Now, where is that in the Bible? Why are you treating human tradition as though it's a command from God? You may be somebody that says, you know, I have to do X, Y, Z every single day, or else my relationship with God isn't right. And you hold on to that to the point where it sucks the joy out of your life. And you're not experiencing what true freedom is in Jesus Christ. Hey, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. The Bible doesn't say to pray two times a day, four times a day, five times a day. It doesn't say to pray each time, 15 minutes each time. It says to pray without ceasing. It's a relationship. God's not wanting us to come to him like it's obligatory, okay? It's not like, okay, God, I have to come to you today. If I don't come to you, you're not going to love me. God, if I don't come to you today, you're not going to bless me. That's the wrong attitude. We come to God because we love him. We come to God because he's personal. We come to God because he shed his grace on us, because he made a way for us. We come to God because we view his creation and we're in awe of what he's done. That's why we come to him. That's why we talk to him. And if we're not careful, we're going to end up like Peter, where we're going to have this outward facade, and we're going to try to impress the right people, and we're going to try to be this way to some people and that way to others. We're going to be inconsistent, and our testimony is going to be ruined. You think Peter was happy during all this time? Do you think there was true joy in his life as he was trying to tread, uh, you know, like walk this tightrope between, well, I got to be nice to the Gentiles, but then when the Jews come, I got to get away from the Gentiles, and I'm always walking on eggshells because I want everybody to be happy. Guys, that's not freedom in Jesus. That's not Christianity. That is not a relationship with the creator of the universe. Legalism will always hold you to a standard that you will never meet. And legalism will always take your joy away. Western thought and civilization, and when I say Western thought, I'm really talking about the, the, the thought process and the philosophy that started with ancient Greece and the Roman Empire and really filtered through Europe and even to the United States today. Historically, Western civilization has held to a guilt culture. And really, the guilt culture is what we still experience today uh, in, in America, and really Christianity teaches 
more of a guilt culture. And what a guilt culture, culture is, is it says you're good or bad based on what your conscience says. So we know there is some biblical truth to that. Not fully, because we know that our consciences are ultimately cursed by sin. But even in Romans 1, we understand that the conscience is a tool that God gave us to help us determine right and wrong in a lot of ways. Okay, But in the Eastern thought, in the Eastern civilization, they have what is called um, a shame culture. And what a shame culture is, it basically says you're good or bad based on what your community or those around you says about you. So a lot of times in Islam, Islam is a shame culture. Um, the Middle East is in a shame culture. And that's why when a Middle Eastern, a Muslim, converts to Christianity, the family kills or even abandons that child. And you say, well, how can they do that to their child? Because they live in such a deeply rooted shame culture that to them it's more horrible to be shamed by your child who's converted to Christianity than it is to kill them or abandon them for your faith. In other words, so the community can say, you did the right thing. And I think a lot of times what happens with legalism is, is we get into a shame culture mindset where we start looking around and we say, okay, what are those around me going to be happy with me about? You get into a certain group of people and you start doing things a certain way because you want them to be happy with you. But here's what happens with a shame culture is that what you do in public is not going to match what you do in private. There are, there are reports even from American military that says uh, Muslims are very anti-homosexual, right? We've seen that very clearly in a lot of the laws of Middle Eastern countries. But it's also confirmed that in their private lives, there are many homosexuals who claim to be Muslim. And you say, well, how can that be, Ben? How, how can that play out? And I'm not just talking about just Muslims. I'm talking about any culture that, that puts this outward appearance of righteousness um, because they're trying to please everyone around me. There's always going to be secret sins because in their mind, as long as the community doesn't know I'm doing this, I'm okay. As long as the shame doesn't come from the community, I'm okay. This is exactly how the Pharisees operated, by the way. They said, you know what? I'm going to wear my fancy clothes, my religious attire. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray out loud in the streets where everyone can hear me. I'm going to make sure everyone can see me when I give to the poor. I'm going to make sure that everyone can see me when I take my, my tithes into the temple. But in their private lives, they were ungodly and they were sinful. Even Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs. Yeah, you're pretty and clean on the outside, but there's death on the inside. That's what legalism does. It causes us to try to form ourselves on the outward appearance in a way that never affects the heart. And that's the truth of legalism. So number one, we see the inconsistency of legalism. But secondly, I want us to see the epidemic of legalism. The epidemic of legalism. And why I say that is because legalism is contagious. Legalism will rub off of you onto other people. In verse 13, we see this very clearly as Peter is continuing in this sinful lifestyle, and we see someone that he brought down with him. In verse 13, it says, Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, talking about Peter, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
So here Peter, being a man of influence and engaging in this legalism, is leading those who follow him down the same wrong path. Legalism is not just negatively affecting Peter. It's not just Peter who's trying to put on this fake facade for everyone to see, but now he's leading other Jews and even Barnabas down that same road. Listen, if you're living in legalism, your legalism is going to affect those around you. It's always contagious. Because as human beings, we naturally want something to live by. We naturally want rules. We naturally want a to-do list. We naturally want to say, okay, so if I go to church on Sunday, pray three times a day, read my Bible once a day, um, play nice, be nice, give to the poor, as long as I do that stuff, I'm a good Christian. And that's what we naturally desire as, Christ, as, as human beings, by the way. We want to know for sure, Let's, let me do my to-do list and then I can put it away and I can do what I really want to do. That's legalism. Because in Christianity, the relationship with Jesus, the freedom that we have in Jesus, is not that we're bound by a law. We are no longer bound by the Old Testament law, by the way. When you meet somebody who says, I can't eat shellfish because the Old Testament says so, they've not read the whole Bible. They've definitely not read the book of Galatians. The Bible says that Jesus fulfilled the law in that Jesus gives us the ability to become righteous and holy because we couldn't do it by living by the law, because no one could live by it. So when we come to this point here, we see that it's contagious, and as we drag people into it, we are responsible for their bondage. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9, that we just read, it showed that legalism causes isolation, neglect, and harm to others. And if you have influence, your legalism will always place others in bondage. In Matthew chapter 23, the Bible says this in verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. Did you hear that? They don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels, which were part of those religious attire that they would wear. They love the place of honor at banquets. You know anybody like that? They love that place of honor, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by people. Here we understand that there is a certain appeal to those kind of things because it appeals to our sinful desires to be popular, to be known as a good person, to be thought highly of. And all those things are good things, but listen, if we're not careful, we're going to get into this endless pursuit of trying to puff up our image when in reality it's like a, a camel or a donkey chasing a carrot. Because the Bible teaches, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, I can make myself look as pretty as I can be, okay? And I'll tell you what, I'm still rotten on the inside. I'm still a sinner. I'm, I still struggle. I still have challenges. And if my whole persona is about making everybody else think I've got it together, I'm living in bondage. I'm not living in the freedom of the Lord Jesus. Freedom in Christ comes when I'm okay to admit that I'm struggling. Freedom in Christ is when I admit that I don't have it all together. Freedom in Christ is taking the burden off of my shoulders and placing it on Jesus's. To say, listen, I don't have it all together, but I'll tell you who does, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these burdens that I used to carry, I don't carry them anymore because I couldn't carry them. Because they weighed me down, they took my joy, and they destroyed me. So you know what? I'm going to put my burdens on Jesus. 
because he can carry. And when you allow Jesus to take your burdens, when you allow Jesus to take your struggles, guess what comes with that? Freedom. Liberty. Oh, I can take a deep breath finally. I've given it all to God. And hey, you know what? He's the creator. Hey, he's done it all. He can handle your burden. He can take care of it. And you can walk away from giving him that burden knowing that he's going to take care of it and knowing that everything is going to be okay. And I want to end with this, the ultimate lie that comes from legalism. The ultimate lie. So we see the inconsistencies of legalism. We see the epidemic of legalism and how contagious it can be. But finally, I want us to see that it's ultimately just a lie. A lie is anything spoken falsely. It's when someone utters an untruth. The reason I'm using the term ultimate here when I talk about the ultimate lie is in this context because of the magnitude of the lie, because of what's really being conveyed. As these Jewish people were saying, Jesus plus something else. Listen, the grace of Christ does not allow for anything but his grace. And the moment that you get into this idea that you have to do X, Y, and Z or God isn't going to love you anymore is completely false. Don't read your Bible because you think God's going to love you more when you read it. Don't do what's right just because you think God is going to love you more. Listen, he already loves you infinitely. He can't love you any more than he does right now. The Bible says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you know Jesus died for you not because you do good? Jesus didn't die for you because you can give him something that he didn't already have. Jesus died for you because of his unconditional love, because he loves you regardless of your sin. He loves you regardless of your wickedness. He loves you infinitely regardless of what you've done or what you will do. So we don't read the Bible because we want God to love us more. We don't go to church because we're trying to earn God's love. It's already there. We do those things because we love him. Because we want to show him the fact that, hey, Jesus, I'm in awe of you. Jesus, you're everything to me. And hey, anytime I can get near you, I'm going to get near you. And I'm not going to do it because someone's giving me a checklist. I'm going to do it because I want to be with you. And you know what? That's when true worship happens, by the way. True worship happens when we're with Jesus because we love him. Because we just want to be close to him. Because, hey, Jesus, I'm not happy being far from you. I'm not happy not speaking to you. I'm not okay not being in your word because I want to be fed from you. That's what true Christianity is. And this lie that the Jews were conveying was taking the gospel of grace and turning it into a big, fat lie. Actually making people think that there's some things that they can do to make them more pleasing to a holy God. And it was really just a big lie. Peter was the one in Acts 15 at that Jerusalem council who was saying, Listen, it's been revealed. God saves Gentiles just like he saves Jews. And then here we have him backtracking. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when we think about this, when we think about the fact that grace comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, my question to you is twofold today. Number one, if you already know Jesus, are you living in his grace? Are you living in his freedom? Or have you allowed yourself to go back to the bonds of slavery? Have you allowed yourself to be get so bound up in the obligations of life and in the do's and the don'ts that you have lost your joy for the Savior? 
And the second question I have for you today is this. If you've never met Jesus, today's the day. He died for you and he rose again so that you can be saved. You may say, Ben, I've been too bad. I've done too much in my past. Listen, Jesus loved you. He commended his love towards you. Even though he knew you were a sinner, even though he knew what you were going to do, he died for you anyways because he loved you. Remember John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Today, don't, don't leave this place. If you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior and that heaven is your home when you die, do not leave this place today until you know for sure. If we look back to the book of uh, Genesis and we look at the Garden of Eden, you say, wow, Ben, this, is, this must be some new stuff here, right? This has got to be just recent to our generation that people are fighting legalism and people are trying to earn their way into heaven. Well, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you're going to see here that Adam and Eve, after they sinned, their eyes were opened. And the Bible says that they immediately felt shame. And what did they do? They said, we've got to fix this. We've got to make this right. We've got to fix this outward appearance of ours. So they began to sew fig leaves together, and they clothed themselves. Thought, okay, this is going to cover it up. This is going to make us presentable. We're good now, okay? We can hide this sin. We can hide this issue, this heart issue. Well, then God shows up. God says, where were you? Oh, we were hiding. Oh, really? Yeah, we ate from the apple you told us not to eat from. And then after this list of curses, and you feel like, man, this is over. This is just too bad. God's not going to let them rebound from this. It says that God took the skins of an animal... And he clothed Adam and Eve. The blood was shed by that animal. God washed their sins away. And today it's the same thing for us. You can try to make those, uh, those clothing out of leaves. You can try to cover up uh, your sin. You can try to, to make it look presentable to the rest of the world. But a holy God is always going to be able to see into your heart. You know what he's wanting to do? He's, wanting to, he's saying, let me just apply the blood. Let me just wash you with my son's blood. And until you accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you're going to live in bondage of your sin. Believer, until you go back to trusting in Jesus' blood and quit trusting in yourself, you're going to live without joy in your life. Yeah, you're saved, but you're going to be the most miserable person in the world. This morning, I want you to nail it down that you're going to give Jesus your burdens. You're going to give God your burdens. Lost person, I want you to nail it down this morning that you're going to trust Jesus for your soul. And I promise you, you can walk out of here like you're on cloud nine. Because you can know that it's taken care of. And there's nothing more important than being able to lay your head on your pillow at night, knowing that there's nothing between you and God. Let's pray.